Psalm 105, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Lord, we do thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for the music that has turned our eyes upon Jesus, that has turned our minds upon you. And Lord, what a great place to fix our minds upon the unchanging great God of heaven. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning you would cause us to desire to seek you like never before. And Lord, I pray that as a result of this series and this and this message and this time together spent in your word, that, Lord, we would not think more about ourselves, but think more about you. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. As you're seated, I wanted to ask, how many husbands are here this morning? Would you raise your hand? Amen. My hand is also Lifted. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. Who are them? Our wives. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. He tells us to dwell with them according to knowledge. You see, when I got married on July 1st of 2000, which is 18 and a half years ago, I enrolled in the school called Julie Johnson. And in this school, I need to study her. I need to learn about her. And then I need to take that knowledge and apply that knowledge as I live with her. I need to know what buttons to push and what buttons to stay very clear from. And I am still learning about my wife. We try to take a date night once a week, and we did this past Monday. And uh, we went to Red Lobster, got all-you-can-eat shrimp. Amen. After that, we went to uh, this coffee shop thing. I don't know what it's called, really, but we had this green tea latte. We shared that, and we were talking, and in that conversation, I learned some important things about my wife. I'm not going to share them with you. They're just for me to know. I know what's good for me. But you see, as as a married husband, I am supposed to grow in my knowledge of my wife. As a Christian, I am supposed to grow in my knowledge of my Heavenly Father. This morning we are starting a very important series. A series about the amazing attributes of God. Now before we get into the specific attributes of God, I want to challenge us all this morning to seek the Lord during this series. That we will really increase in our knowledge of who our God really is. You know, early education in America once considered knowing God the chiefest 
pursuit of education. One early college declared this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Their dual motto was, for the glory of Christ and for Christ and the church. What college was this? It must have been a Bible college, right? It was Harvard. And it was founded by the Reverend John Harvard in the 1600s. Their original seal had the word truth for Christ for the church. Today's seal contains only veritas, which means truth. The fact is nearly every one of the first 123 colleges and universities that sprung up in the colonies did so to train ministers, including Harvard, Yale, William and, Bra- uh, William and Mary, Brown University, Princeton, and Dartmouth, which was established to train missionaries to the Indians. Columbia University, established in 1754, advertised its chief aim was to teach and to engage children to know God in Jesus Christ. These all considered theology proper, the theological label given to the study as the queen of all courses of study. So even back in the day when our country was founded, even colleges, universities that rose up understood the importance of knowing God and increasing in our knowledge of who God is. God did not intend to hide himself from his creatures. The creature being the created simply does not have the capacity to fully comprehend the creator. Yet God is uh, God uh, who not only wants us to know him, but wants us to seek to know him. Psalm 27 and verse number 8, the psalmist said, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the very last verse that Peter ever penned, said this, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So the encouragement here for us is to increase in our knowledge of who God is. Not to say that we shouldn't increase in other things or in knowledge of other things in this life, but we must not forget the most important, our relationship with God and learning who He is. Matthew 7 and verse 7. Who could forget the words of Jesus when he said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Paul said that his life was all about knowing God more and more as time went on. For he said to the church at Philippi that I may know him. May that be my motto and yours as we go through this series and really ultimately as we go through our life that we would know God more and more as time goes on. We would know who He is, what He is like, and what He does. So many people spend their lives trying to find themselves. Have you ever asked somebody, what are you doing with your life? I'm just trying to find myself. I'm like, well, I see you're right here. (laughs) And I know that's not what they mean, but... They're trying to discover who they are and what they are going to do with their life. And they're trying to discover themselves. Well, what I'm encouraging us this morning in this series is to pursue your maker, to pursue your God and to learn who he is. And when you realize who he is, then you will make a lot more sense to you when you understand who God is. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, 
to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Too often Christians even seek the Lord last. When after we've exhausted all the other recourse or resources that we have, we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And young people who are maybe trying to discover who you are, can I encourage you to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness first in your life? Don't worry about finding out who you are. Finding out who God is is more important. Because once you find out who God is, then your whole life will make a whole lot more sense. Seeking the Lord really is the most important and worthy pursuit of your life and mine. As we consider the subject of getting to know your God today, I want to share three very important elements of seeking the Lord. First of all, I want you to notice the plea to seek the Lord. The plea. God is pleading with us to seek Him. Again, He's not hiding from us. He's inviting us, though, to seek Him. In our text this morning, in verse number Psalm 105, verse number 3, um, it says, Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. And then He pleads with us in verse 4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. God is calling us to seek Him. And to know Him. Uh, God is saying in Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12. He said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, this isn't something to put off. This isn't something to delay on and procrastinate. Like you would taxes. But David already filed his taxes. That's just wrong to do that this early. (laughs) I'm telling you, the deadline for seeking the Lord is today. It's time to seek the Lord. Don't wait until you get older, young people, until you get an established family. No, it's time to seek the Lord now. Don't wait till you retire. It's time to seek the Lord now. Don't wait until everything gets just right in your life before you start seeking the Lord. Do it now. It is time right now to do it. God is pleading for us to do it right now. How is He pleading us to seek the Lord? He's pleading us, first of all, to seek Him diligently. To to seek Him diligently. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 4, 29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If... Thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You know, this pursuit needs our full attention. This pursuit needs our full energy. This isn't something to flippantly do. God wants us to diligently seek Him. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says this, And ye shall seek Me and find Me when ye shall search for Me with all your heart. God wants us to put our heart into this more than you would in your business, more than you would even in your own family. God wants us to search for Him with all our heart. The psalmist said in Psalm 63 in verse 1, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, 
My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Imagine being in a land where there is no water. And you experiencing that type of thirst. That's the type of thirst that God wants us to have for Him. That's the type of uh, diligence we are to have in searching and seeking Him and to learning who He is. In 2011, an 84-year-old man named Henry Morella was driving north of Phoenix, Arizona. When he realized he was heading the wrong direction. When he tried to turn around, he got stuck in a ditch. When unable to walk to the main road to get help, he spent five days trapped in his car. To stay alive, he took a rock and cracked open the, the wiper fluid container in his car and drank the fluid. He even read his car manual in its entirety to pass the time. After he was rescued, the doctors were amazed to find him in such good condition. You see, those who are thirsty, who are truly thirsty, know what it is to seek something with a great desire. That level of desire should characterize our our seeking the Lord. He wants us to seek Him diligently. Jesus said, remember, blessed, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm 42, the psalmist said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. What does your soul thirst for? Does it thirst for financial prosperity? Does it search for popularity or fame? Or does it search for God? What does your soul long for? So we're to seek the Lord diligently. We're also to seek Him continually. Verse 4 says this, uh, Seek the Lord, Psalm 105, verse 4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. A lot of people, when they get started in the Christian life, they, they get on fire for God and they start learning all they can and they, they start really seeking the Lord diligently. Sometimes it's a, a big life change such as marriage or childbirth or, or a death in the family, maybe a wake-up call, so to speak, and, and they start turning over a new leaf and they start being faithful to church for a little while and start seeking the Lord. But then life gets back on track, and life gets busy, and life starts taking over. We stop our search. See, God doesn't want us to fizzle out in our search for Him. He wants us to continually, day after day. God desires that we wouldn't be uh, merely temporary seekers, but that we would be uh, lifelong seekers of who He is. So we see the plea. To seek the Lord. God is pleading with us. In your life. Make sure that you are seeking me with your heart. And seek me continually. Learn who I am. He again is not hiding from us. But let's talk secondly about the purpose of seeking the Lord. Why should we seek the Lord? I mean what's in it for me? 
Oh, there's a lot in it for you. Why should I seek the Lord? Why should you spend the time seeking who He is? Well, first of all, to know Him. To know Him. A.W. Tozer once said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you is when, when you think of God and, and what comes into your mind after that point. Do you think He's a hateful, judging God? Or do you think He's a loving God who wants to bless you? What do you think about when you think of God? That right there is the most important thing about you, according to A.W. Tozer. And I think he's right. Because what you believe often determines how you behave. And the knowledge of God helps you face the changing circumstances of life. And we all face unchanging circumstances of life. That's why it's important to know who your unchanging God is. When you go through the sea of difficulties and and all these difficult things that come into our life. I think of examples in the Bible of of those who had a proper view of God and how it helped them through difficult times or changing circumstances in life. I think about Abraham and Isaac and as Abraham was then tested there and proved whether he loved God more than he loved Isaac. It was there that Abraham remembered who God was. This is back in Genesis chapter number 22. I'll turn over there here real quickly. In chapter 22 of Genesis, here in verse number 1 or verse number 2, God says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I would have been extremely confused at this point. I would have said, God, what are you talking about? This is the promised son. This is the one you promised me so many years ago. Now you want me to kill him? What is going on here? But verse 3 says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning. In other words, he obeyed right away. It wasn't something that he had a debate over. He didn't argue with God. He didn't try to reason with him. He simply obeyed and submitted. Well, and then verse number seven, as they're walking up the mountain, Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, my father. He said, well, here I am, my son. He said, I I, I see the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I don't get it. Verse number eight, Abraham said, my son, and what's the next word? God. His mind was focused upon God in this time of testing. Not on, I don't understand why this is happening. I have no idea where the, you're supposed to be the sacrifice, Isaac. I don't know what God's doing here. He simply said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And boy, is that a play on words. Because he did provide himself as a lamb on the cross of Calvary to become the ultimate offering for our sin. But later he would provide that ram caught in the thicket. But you see, Abraham knew who God was and knew what God was like. And he was focused on that in this time of testing. And that's why it's so important for us to know him. So that we can face times of testing 
And we'll have our minds and eyes on the Lord during those times instead of on just the test in front of us. I think about in times of asking and receiving. If your Bible's open there in Genesis, we'll be back in Psalm 105 here in a little bit. But let's go back, let's go over a few books to 1 Samuel chapter number 1. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Here was a lady by the name of Hannah who wanted nothing more in this life than to have children. She was a, a mother in the making. She always, probably when she was a little girl, played with her dolls and pushed her in those little uh, buggies, which we have in our house. Our daughter Faith has buggies. Okay, technically it belongs to Seth, but Faith borrows it from time to time. Not really. It's, it belongs to Faith. And I was thinking, we don't need to bring a buggy. I think Faith's grown out of these dolls. She is not grown out of these dolls. She likes playing with them still. I can see Hannah being like that when she was 10. Just picturing her being, being a mother. And then, well, she finally gets married to Akana. And, 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 and they, they kind of you know, try to have children. And, and nothing's happening. And they're not, they're not having children. So she begins to ask the Lord and begins to pray. Let me jump down here to verse number, verse number uh, 7. And she did so year by year when she went to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. This is one of the other uh, ladies who had children who kind of rubbed it in and said, yeah, I'd love to ch- stay and chat, but I've got a birthday party to prepare. And, you know, we got another baby coming. Sorry to let you know that. She was rubbing it in to Hannah. And Hannah didn't take it well, so she... Uh, began to weep and, and, and didn't eat. Elkanah, verse 8, her husband said to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? And here was a bonehead move of Elkanah. Am not I better to thee than ten sons? What an idiot statement. <laughs> but those of us who are husbands, probably we've made statements like that before in our past. Okay, maybe not you, but I have. Well, it goes on down, and she begins to pray. Verse 12, it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now, Hannah, when she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Hannah said, No, I'm not. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. What I want to point out in this point here is this. When she had a time of need in her life, she went to the Lord believing that He would provide. Can I encourage you when you have times of need to go to the Lord believing that He will provide? And this is the importance of knowing God because if you really believe that He'll provide, then you'll go to Him in prayer. Well, we know the rest of the story, how she did indeed get pregnant. Boy, she took that pregnancy test, and she was ecstatic. She went down to the local Walmart and got one of those pregnancy tests, and boy, it was positive, and she was thrilled to death. You know what she did? 
she spent the next several verses praising God for who he is. If you read First uh, Samuel chapter 2, it's a prayer of Hannah who is praying and thanking God for who he is. See, it's important for us to know who he is so that when we face times of difficulty in our life, we'll have the right thoughts that will go to him. Let's move on here. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Move over a few pages to chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 17, just kidding. Chapter 17. Most of us are very familiar with the story going on here in, in chapter 17, David and Goliath. Goliath, this huge giant, nine feet plus tall, standing and defying the armies of Israel and ultimately defying God. No one is courageous enough to face this giant. David comes on the scene, delivering groceries to his brother. He says, what in the world's going on? They tell him. He said, somebody needs to do something. If no one in the army is going to do something, let me do it. He said, is there not a cause? I'll, I'll go and do it. And they're like, okay, whatever, kid. And they presented him before the king and And here's what he said, verse number 32. David said to Saul, Let let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with them, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took him I took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him, smote him, delivered him out of his mouth, and when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. Saul said unto David, well, fine, whatever. You and God, you do your thing. The Lord be with thee. We know the story. He did. He faced this giant. Now, he wasn't focused on the giant. Who was he focused on? He was focused on God. And when you and I face giants in this life, if we know who God is, we'll not look at the giant. We'll think, ah, been there, done that. This is no match for God. So this is why it's so important for us to know who he is, because we will face giants in our lives. In times when life takes, when the path of life takes a radical detour, have you ever been there? Probably no one's been there like a lady by the name of Mary. Mary was going forward in life and thinking, hey, I'm engaged to be married. We're planning the wedding. I'm figuring out the colors. The Lunos know what I'm talking about in all this. We're trying to get the decorations all situated, making the perfect wedding that I've always dreamed of. And all of a sudden, an angel came out of nowhere and, and says, by the way, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. What? Not exactly on my radar, Lord. Not exactly what I had planned for my life. But I'm thankful for Mary because she understood who God was. 
and allowed God to make that detour in her life. And for eternity, we remember Mary as the mother of our dear Savior. Or I think of Jonah in the Bible. In times of discipline, have you ever been there? Have you ever been disciplined by the Lord? Jonah all knew all too well what the Lord, who the Lord was and what he was doing. When he was in that boat and the storm came as he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord and going the opposite direction of where the Lord told him to go. Everybody's waking Jonah up from taking a nap and he said, Hey, uh, there's a storm. We're all going to die and you're sleeping. What in the world is going on? Uh, we're all supposed to be calling on our gods and praying for God, for whoever gods are to stop this storm. Jonah said, no need to pray. I know exactly what's happening. See, I've been fleeing from the presence of the Lord and I'm a Hebrew and I'm going the opposite direction of where God wants me to go. He knew that he couldn't flee from the presence of the Lord, but he tried. So he said, the only way for me, for this storm to stop is for you to cast me over on the other side into the ocean. Now, I really believe that Jonah thought that that was it for him. That that was the last day of his life, that he was going to perish in that, in that sea. Praise the Lord, God's goodness, and he prepared a great fish. And there he was and swallowed Jonah up in God's mercy. You say, well, that wasn't very merciful to be inside the belly of a whale and to be with all that nasty stuff in there. It was the Lord's mercy. He was giving Jonah another chance. I could go on. Psalm 73, the psalmist said in Psalm 73 that as he looked at the wicked that were succeeding and the wicked that were being blessed and he was getting frustrated and going, why, are, why is everyone being blessed who's not living for the Lord? And then he remembered who God was and it helped him to gain perspective over the circumstances of life that he was facing. You see, the purpose of seeking the Lord is so that we would know Him. And when we go through difficult times, we think right thoughts about Him. And that will help us to navigate through these areas of life that are a little less than what we had planned. Second Chronicles 12 and verse 14 says, And he, talking about Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and he did evil. Why? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. When we fail to seek the Lord, then we're going to end up in all kinds of disaster. If you don't really know who God is and you're not really uh, seeking him, then when you're faced with temptation, you and I will most likely fail and fall into that temptation if we do not prepare our heart to seek the Lord. Just like Rehoboam, Solomon's son, who had the book of Proverbs given to him. Pretty sad. Why else did, does God want us to seek Him? Well, secondly, to make Him known. Not only to know Him, but also to make Him known to those around us. God has not only called you and I to be a disciple, but He's called us to make disciples. Back in our text, Psalm 105, verse number 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. You see, I'm supposed to make him known to those around me. Verse 2, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. 
I supposed to just talk to myself about all his wonders and works? Sure, that's not a bad idea. Although people might think you're a little weird if they hear you and see you. But God wants us to talk to others about all the things that God has done in our life and who he is. How can you really talk about someone you really don't know? I would encourage all of us to learn about him so you can tell others about him. It is easy to determine when something is on fire, right? It, it ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. Any church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. God wants us to learn who he is, get on fire with that, and then spread that around. Not to just keep it to ourselves. The purpose of seeking the Lord. Thirdly and finally this morning, I want you to see the plan for seeking the Lord. And I'll finish quickly with this thought. How can we seek Him? What is the plan for seeking God? What practical ways can we do this? Well, first of all, study God's Word. Study God's Word. Everything that God wants us to know about Him was revealed to us in His Word. Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, that sounds like work. You know, study? Hey, I already graduated. I have my diploma. I don't need to study anymore. Yes, we do. Study to show thyself approved a workman? I need to be a workman? That sounds like work. Yes, it does, and it is. Rightly dividing the word of truth? That means I have to kind of Know what I'm talking about and have an understanding? Yes. John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, according to James Hamilton, there are two kinds of Bible readers. Those who skim the surface and those who dig deep. He describes them by comparing them to two common insects. He writes, One is remarkable for its imposing plumage, which shows in the sunbeams like the dust of gems, as you watched its jaunty gyrations over the fields and its minuet dance from flower to flower. You cannot help admiring its graceful activity, for it is plainly getting over a great deal of ground. But in the same field, there is another worker whose brown vest and business-like straightforward flight may not have arrested your eye. His fluttering neighbor darts down here and there and sips elegantly wherever he can find a drop of ruddy nectar. But this dingy plotter makes a point of alighting everywhere. And wherever he alights, he either finds honey or makes it. If the flower cup be deep, he goes down to the bottom. If its dragon mouth be shut, he thrusts its lips asunder. And if the nectar be peculiar, he explores all about it till he discovers it. His rival of the painted velvet wing has no patience for such dull and long-winded details. But the one died last October, and the other is warm in his hive amidst the fragrant stores he has gathered. Which type of Bible reader are you? A butterfly or a bee? You know, recently, my wife and I were looking for a new mattress. As a result, we had to do some research. 
boy, we went on websites, we read Amazon reviews till the sky is, till the cow comes home. I don't know whatever that saying is. We finally had to make a decision. How many of you are the ones when you do Amazon purchase, you read all the reviews, right? Okay, there's one back here. Thank you. There's a couple of you. Thank you. That's more important than the actual description is what people are saying about it. (laughs) We do research for online purchases, but do we research who God is? Are we willing to put that same type of effort and research and diligence into understanding who our Lord is? God is calling us to seek Him. Look, I realize that we live in a microwave generation where everything is at a push of a button or even a voice command. You could say, Alexa, turn on the TV. Well, you can't say, Alexa, help me to know everything there is to know about God. That's going to require some work. You can't, there's no app for that. I'm sorry. It's going to require a little depth, a little effort, a little work. God's calling us to do that. So study God's word. Secondly, stay faithful to God's house. First, First Timothy 3.15 says, but if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And no such thing as a perfect church. Well, except for Cornerstone Baptist Church. No, I'm just kidding. I know we're not perfect. But this is a place, Lord willing, where the truth is being preached. Look, if you miss a church service, you may miss the very message and truth that you needed to face what is going to come into your life next week. So when you're not feeling up to coming, and look, can I be honest with you? There are times when I don't feel like coming. Now, not since I've been here. I've always wanted to come and meet with you. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. We may not feel like coming to church. We may not feel like... Ah, I've got to go through that again. But I'm telling you, you may need that message. That might be the message that you needed or your children need. So don't miss it. Be here and be ready to hear. All right, let me wrap it up with this. We've been talking this morning about the value of knowing about God and seeking Him. But more important than knowing about God is knowing God. So can I ask you, do you know him? I'm not asking what he, is, what he is like, but do you know him? For example, you may or may not know this about me, but I am a big hockey fan. I grew up in a home with a dad who was a big hockey fan, and it passed down to me. And I've been passing it down to my boys. Well, about the time I really got into hockey, the biggest trade in the NHL history took place. Wayne Gretzky was traded from the Edmonton Oilers to the Los Angeles Kings. I became a fan of Wayne Gretzky at that moment. Wayne Gretzky was and still is, in my humble opinion, the greatest hockey player to ever play the game. Gretzky started playing hockey at the mere age of three, and then he began his professional career at the young age of 19 with the Edmonton Oilers, and then led them to four Stanley Cup championships. 
Then in 1988, as I mentioned, he was traded to the Los Angeles Kings, and he also played for the St. Louis Blues and eventually retired with the New York Rangers in 1999. At the time of his retirement, Wayne Gretzky held 61 NHL records. Now, to put this in perspective, Michael Jordan holds 10 NBA records, which is impressive. Okay, Tom Brady, Brother Tom. (laughs) Tom Brady holds 14 NFL records to this point. And no doubt Tom Brady is the greatest to ever play the game. But Wayne Gretzky, 61 NHL records. Gretzky wore number 99 on his jersey, and his number is retired league-wide. No one is ever going to be able to wear the number 99 ever again in the NHL. And like me, Wayne Gretzky shoots left-handed. I could go on and on with facts about Wayne Gretzky, but needless to say, I know, a new, uh, I know a few facts about this man. But there's one thing that's true about me and Wayne Gretzky is I've never met him. You see, I know about Wayne Gretzky, but I don't know Wayne Gretzky. And you might be here this morning and you say, I know about God. I'm glad that you do. I hope that you do. But more important than knowing about God is do you know God? And does he know you? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils? In thy name have done many wonderful works? Then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Does he know you? Now, I I know that God knows everything. So he knows who you are, but does he know you like a personal relationship know you? And do you know him in that way? Revelation 20 and verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. Those who don't know him are not written in that book of life, and at that day they will be cast into a lake of fire. I'll end with this thought. Isaiah 55 and verse number 6 says this, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. If you don't know the Lord today, he's asking you to seek him while he may be found because there is coming a day when he will no longer be able to be found. So call ye upon him while he is near. Can I encourage you to do that? Those of us who do know him, God is calling us and pleading with us to seek him diligently and continually. What are you going to do about it?